0: Have you ever wondered why some business people are more successful than others? Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. The Mentor List specializes in interviews with top business minds. Listen to their stories, list their habits, and most importantly, gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List.
1: Welcome to today's show today joining us is Claire Rogers. Claire Rogers is chief executive of World Vision Australia the country's largest not-for-profit organization working in partnership across 90 countries to provide short and long-term assistance for get this a hundred million people. Claire's a social innovator has a proven track record of strategizing and delivering major change initiatives helping organizations adapt to tech disrupted economy. She aligns the physical and digital execution to maximise the opportunity. Claire was recently Head of Digital Channels at ANZ Bank before coming across to World Vision, spearheading its digital transformation, leading mobile and internet banking and digital security. A highly networked influencer, Claire brings to different environments finely honed communication and negotiation skills, strength, compassion that creates strong community buying and support. Claire has an MBA from the Melbourne Business School, formerly chair of Ridley College Melbourne and is a director on the board of ACFID, the Australian International Charities Industry Peak Body. Claire is married with two kids and now lives in Melbourne. Her family have been World Vision child sponsors since 2006 and had the pleasure in November 2016, Claire was able to go and visit the child that she's been sponsoring over there in Myanmar. I may say this every week and not to discount my other favourite shows but this is going to be one of my favourite shows. So if you're taxing on the runway, enjoying our new channel through Qantas Q Radio, commuting to work, walking the dog or even riding your scooter precariously through traffic, I hope you enjoy today's show. Claire Rogers, welcome to the show today.
2: Thanks David, it's great to be here. No
1: problem. I guess we might just kick straight into it, launch straight into it, and I guess my first question is, you know, can you tell the listeners about your story?
2: Sure. I did an arts degree originally and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and I guess you could say I fell into banking. But once I was there, I realized that I had a bit of a strength in growing businesses or sales. And also in transformation and so I worked a number of different jobs across ANZ, building up experience to actually get to run a division or a business and in that process became known for transformation and growth. Then came a stint in the UK where the euro currency was being launched which was actually very exciting to watch markets, a whole new market form because whatever state the euro is in now, it was brand new then and watching different treasuries and banks kind of figure out how they were going to operate in this space with this new currency was probably my first experience of watching a business start from scratch or being directly involved in a business starting from scratch and that really sparked my entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. And at the same time, I was a consumer in the U.K., and the UK was much more advanced in the digital space than Australia was, which I discovered when I got home, actually. But we purchased lots of things online and it arrived in a right. package at the front door. Yep. And then when I came back to Australia, I discovered that it was pretty non-existent, this so when it, ability. When is this, when this you was got that? 2002. Okay. And, you know, the best you could get was a, a PDF target catalogue online, but you right. couldn't buy anything. And this kind of surprised me because Australia has a reputation for being early adopters. You know, for example, we're the largest tap-and-go card payment market in the world, right. but digital e-commerce was was a long way behind. Now, I know a lot's caught up since 2002, but at that time mm-hmm. that made me passionate about digital, mm-hmm. and so I opened ANZ Digital Car Loans online well before it was cool to sell online here. Great. Right. So the principle that that experience gave me was to then watch what was going on in consumers as they changed their behavior. So I always had this kind of passion and hankering for digital Mm -hmm. and ended up going back in to run digital channels as the job, penultimate job before I came to World Vision. And what drove our success in there was just relentlessly removing friction from the customer experience and, and you'd see take up which I'm sure we'll talk about again. And so then why World Vision? Well, like many people who come to World Vision, it, it involved a phone call. It wasn't something I'd thought about. and So you were approached? Uh, yeah, so I was approached. That was probably the first job in my entire career I'd been approached for. So when we get to advice to my younger self, we'll talk about how I got the jobs that I got. But this one was a phone call. And to be totally honest, I had to really think that through because it it kind of wasn't on the yeah. how, on the And how road does it come through?
1: Is this a headhunter or talent scout dialing you through or is this like I'm just so I'm curious? In like, this what particular
2: happened? case, they rang me and said, there's a number of people on the board who would like you to apply. And I didn't know who was on the board, so I had to go home that night and look it up. And so there was someone who I'd worked with many, many years ago in ANZ. There was someone who had known of my work, I, I chaired a not-for-profit board for nine years, so he was in that sector and so he'd known of my work, but I didn't know him personally. Yep. So it turned out there were a few people on the board that did know me. And, and some people were people who I'd met with maybe for a career chat every five years. Oh, great. But I didn't know them well, but, yeah. you know, enough so that that principle of networking Even when you can't see the purpose of it, it's still very important. Definitely. So, yeah, so that's how it came about.
1: You mentioned the not-for-profit board. Is this the Ridley? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about how you came into that as well?
2: Yeah. So I took a career break when my kids were – or my youngest daughter was just about to go to school. So I'd had very short maternity leaves and I just felt like I was missing out on something. And so I wanted to spend a bit of time with the kids. Yep. And it was at that point – that opportunity came in to chair the board. And normally you'd go in as a director first and then be a chair but there was no one else who wanted to be chair and I did my due diligence and everyone on the board were sensible people so I just figured <laughs> it was that they were busy and because I was on a career break it was a good opportunity to keep my hand in yep. at the same time as spend some time with the kids. So it was very, very part-time. But at the same time, a great opportunity to learn to be a director, yeah, and to learn the skills of of managing a board and chairing a board.
1: Fantastic! And this was from when you were at ANZ. the career Yeah, break was, it was yeah.
2: about two thousand and seven. I went on the board, and yeah. I just came off last year. Two significant changes in that organisation during my tenure. The first was a leadership transition, and then the second was helping them to go online. Right, okay. Which was a very significant change for them.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I guess going online, is that sort of, I mean, that skill set must be invaluable here at World Vision, I'd imagine.
2: Yes, correct. We've got quite a bit of transforming to do in that space in World Vision. We've been, and our listeners will know this, we've been fairly paper-based and oriented around letters and direct mail and that's going to change because we're watching our, Supporters engage, want to engage with us in new ways, and so we're working on a number of initiatives that will drive a new experience for supporters.
1: Great. Yeah, often what I come at the comment I get is, you know, not-for-profits. People have a, a misconstrued perception that, that maybe it's not competitive. Do you want to talk through just how competitive, I guess, this space not-for-profit is?
2: I look at it in two parts. So the, the field space is actually very collaborative. Because we don't want to, our resources are so scarce, we don't want to duplicate. So, for example, in Myanmar, we participate in discussions with all the NGOs and there's a a kind of, you're covering this, we're covering that, and that's to maximise the value of the work that happens in the field. In the fundraising space in Australia, yes, it's very crowded but it's in many ways it's no different to banking. Banking is a very right. crowded market as well. So how do you get your message across? How do you create the experience that people want to be a part of? And I'm here to lead World Vision into a new conversation with their supporters, one that's around their confidence in being change makers. I think, you yeah. know, there's a there's a bit of a myth going around that millennials are not interested in in social causes. I see masses of evidence that they're very interested. But what's changing is the impact that they want to have it needs to be big and significant. That's, right. They want to know that it's really making a difference. Wow. And so we're leading out at the moment with a new brand message around being change makers yep. and providing ways for people to connect with World Vision around genuinely making significant change in the lives of kids around the world.
1: So, yeah, I was thinking about this on the ride in and I was thinking, you know, if you're at a barbecue and someone asks you, you know, what do you do, like CEO of World Vision Australia, it's going to almost trump any other, I don't know, job title out there. Have you had any funny responses or replies when you meet a stranger and you tell them sort of what you do?
2: Well, of course, in banking, we used to talk about the barbecue test because often... You'd end up in quite difficult conversations <laughs> yeah. at the barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, so the most common reaction I get is just this massive smile on people's faces and they look right. just so excited for me, which is lovely. And, you know, people will say, so what part of the world have you changed today <laughs> is a common question. And the beauty of what they're referring to or what's underlying in those questions is that we have purpose. We have a really clear purpose. Yep and that's something that you know working with the team it's it's great because we don't have to spend any time thinking about purpose it's all about the how and the what that we go to do because the why is really quite clearly articulated yeah Yeah. fantastic
1: yeah i think i read on your profile yeah helping 100 million people it's just yeah it's just amazing so such an intrinsic reward too to see people just smile and light up like that
2: and now i've been to the field so early in my orientation, I wanted to go out to the field because I can't speak with authority about what's going on in the field to supporters if I've been there. So yeah. I spent some time in Myanmar and just some lovely, rich experiences of how World Vision's field work actually empowers and creates community and community structures and groups that will support others rather than coming in, being there for a while and disappearing. It's, yeah. it's about how we grow leaders in the community. And one of my favorite stories is a bit of a banking story. We run the very early entry part of banking, if you like, it's called Savings and Loans Clubs. And we went to see a group of women who are running a club for an area, you know, a region south of Yangon, very poor area. And they proudly showed me their box with all the padlocks where they keep the ledgers of who owes the money and who's due to get a loan and and all of that stuff is kept in this box. And these women were so proud of the role that they were playing in their community. And by the way, they were so fierce that I would not fail to pay them back. (laughs) (laughs) And so you just get that sense of sustainability in the community from these programs. And World Vision helps them with the box and the padlocks and the teaching around how to Run these programs mm. and then they pick it up and, and run with it. So oh, great, so um, it's so sort great, of really like a
1: form of ownership and yeah. stability of assets or, yeah, and debts. Wow, fantastic. Okay, so yeah, Myanmar. Sorry, Myanmar. I always have, yes. I always have trouble pronouncing that. How was it? Myanmar. I, I said Myanmar. <laughs> Myanmar. Was that the only place you visited or on your... I've
2: also been to some programs in Bogota, Colombia, where there's a, a really strong peace-building movement amongst children and the kids teach other kids about participating in peace programs and they lobby the government of Colombia to, you know, have policies that are going to help kids in these contexts. So that was also a really exciting experience. Yeah, so these emerging leaders coming through that society with a different mindset to the the one that's so embedded in terms of conflict and displacement and violence
1: yeah okay i just wanted to maybe circle back to your sort of career so you're at melbourne university and then you flowed through to melbourne business school i just wanted to talk about your mba how you saw that place in your career and then I guess looking back you know if you wanted to sort of talk through what were the benefits of that yeah just a few comments there
2: yeah sure so I did an MBA partly because I'd done an arts degree and felt that I needed to get some stronger disciplines if you like from the commercial sector I always had an aspiration to run businesses and so I looked around at different courses and, you know, there were things like masters in marketing and that kind of stuff, but my passion was to run a business. And so the MBA really fitted that bill in terms of giving me exposure to and a deep enough knowledge of the different disciplines of running a business. So finance, employee relations, strategy, et cetera. And in a way that exposed me to lots of different industries and lots of different companies. And so the purpose of it for me was to be able to have intelligent conversations and to lead people who come from those disciplines. I'll never be an expert in any of those disciplines, but to be able to ask the right questions is really key. Yep. And that's really the, the rich experience that the MBA gave me.
1: Yeah. And why did you pick the Melbourne Business School?
2: Probably proximity, but also yep. reputation.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, I saw recently they've made it to the top 10 in Bloomberg's international NBA rankings. Yes. So they're pretty happy about that. And yeah, They would a, be. Fantastic for them. So, yeah, I guess just another question. Were there any sort of surprises you got out of it? Like you, you sort of went into it and you thought, hang on, I didn't think I'd get that out of it, but that sort of something came out of it that was unexpected as you were going into it?
2: I think... One of the things was I did get a scholarship, the Helen Shutt Fellowship scholarship it is actually, and it's to encourage women going through the MBA. So I had to negotiate heavily with my employer to support me in the MBA and that didn't come through straight away because they they really hadn't funded women through MBAs at that point. So, Or if they had, it was a very, very small number and so I had to kind of Fight for support and attention with regard to to doing the MBA, and in the end, you know, I went back to the ANZ and had a long career with them. So it was worth their investment, and so the the scholarship was very helpful in helping me with getting support and then career development that came back at the ANZ. Yeah. So that was a bit of a surprise, and what's an even lovelier surprise is that there's. A community and a cohort associated with the Helen Short Trust. Oh, wow. And okay. so they have dinners to catch up with other recipients and on a regular basis, sort of every three to four years, which is great to be part of that network.
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, fantastic. You mentioned sort of, it sounds like you're one of the first women to go through the MBA program from the corporate you're at, but. You've kind of pioneered in that space continually and in your, your involvement now as a mentor in Springboard. Yep. And you mentioned, I think it was last night or the night before, you were speaking at another Women in Business type event. Do you want to sort of talk through how you've seen that almost flourish? Because I noticed yeah. that there's just so many great initiatives that are up and running now. And, you know, it sounds like they would have been fantastic if there was more of that sort of as you were coming through your career. But did you want to sort of talk about that stuff?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've always been of the view that if if a man can do that job, so can I. Yep. <laughs> so for me, it's always been about putting myself forward or or pursuing opportunities that fit with my skill set. I'm not trying to do anything silly, but yep. that fit with my skill set and getting the opportunity to shape industries or to shape businesses is, is very much on my aspiration. So. Anything that sort of says, "Well, it's always been men that have done this," or "You have to have these characteristics," and yep. I don't think you do need those for a particular job, I'll tend to yep. to challenge that. The area that probably shocked me the most, and I have written on this, was when I got into digital to discover that actually there's quite a. It's improving now, even over the last three years, but there's quite a prejudice in the digital space. It's If you think Silicon Valley, there's a bit of a stereotype, young sexist men who start these companies and there are many women who've tried to have a go in Silicon Valley and found that they – Experience really quite old-fashioned attitudes and
1: yeah, because they're the new age harassment. guys on the yeah,
2: block. Yeah, you would think that that wouldn't be the case, but yep. it is. And so, to champion women going into the sector is actually it's almost more important than championing women in the corporate sector because that journey's been going for longer and has more traction, and there's more advocates, and there's male champions of change, and all of those kinds of things. But if yep. you take the digital sector it's it doesn't have that long history and it doesn't have mm. enough advocates yep. so springboard is a is an organization that's come out of the US but we now have a chapter in Australia to encourage women entrepreneurs in the tech and science and and health sectors yep. to to get going to have confidence to pull their pitches together to work out who to target for funding and that's that whole education process. There's a number of different programs. And one day we won't need, I hope that we won't need special women's programs. Yeah. But, you know, they're fundraising in the same field as the men. So it's about equipping and making sure that they have everything they need to be successful.
1: It's almost like their success will eliminate the need for having women-specific yeah. type uh, initiatives. Yeah. yeah. We've actually, yeah, had a few mentors on the show who have gone through the springboard program and obviously very gone on to great success. Yeah, it's a really great program. Terrific. Okay, so just maybe might ask you what advice you might have for yourself as you were sort of coming through your career or, yeah, what advice did you get that you found really useful?
2: Yes. So the first principle that I've learned I didn't start out like this, but I learnt over my career through a couple of particular pivot points, if you like, is to ask for what you need. Right. My example of this is I'd moved to London with ANZ. I was running a a sales business there and became pregnant with my first child and at the same time was being rung up and headhunted by another bank. And so I was... With much trepidation, sitting there thinking, "Well, how am I going to have this conversation with my right. manager yep, and I don't know why, but I thought, "Oh, well, maybe I have to resign because i'm I've had a baby, you know, and this is not that long ago, and I know that now people wouldn't wouldn't say that, but that's what went through my mind anyhow. I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose, I'm sitting on the other side of the world if they say no, so what." and I'll figure something out and they said yes to a pay rise and yes to part-time working from home. I didn't even think of part-time working from home. That hadn't crossed my mind and I was very fortunate. I had an enlightened boss who actually didn't belong to my generation. He belonged to the older generation but, you know, he just said, no, you're doing such a great job. This is the way we want to do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that really taught me that if you... Because I would never have known that if I'd just walked in and resigned or, I don't know, any other scenario. I would never have known that. It was only because I told him what the situation was and then he came back with the support that I needed. And so that was a great lesson for me in asking the question. Mm -hmm. And even if you get a no, you understand why there's a no because they'll explain to you why they think it's not a good idea. Yeah. And so... I mentioned before that most of my jobs have not come via a phone call or a headhunter ringing me. They've come because I've looked at an area of the business that needs attention, needs transformation, and I've gone and said to that leader, you need to do this, I could help you with that. That's a more risky career strategy than everyone can afford to do, so I do accept that, but I have taken short-term roles and I've taken – Unclear assignments on the opportunity to turn something yeah. around, and it's always led to a job, so there's a bit of a lesson in there for me around backing yourself, yeah, and being willing to take some risks, yeah, great,
1: that's really great advice, so you you're really just putting yourself out there, and it's obviously obviously paid off because here you are now, just also yeah, that advice to yourself that was I was just thinking and it was playing back in my head. I mean that's sort of great advice to yourself now as well with. You've got a clear why and that'll lead into a how, but it's that outcome and exactly what you want as the CEO of well Vision. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. So just the next question is just around some habits. So is there any habits that you've got that you think other people could pick up and apply themselves and maybe beneficial?
2: Yeah, less personal habits and more habits that I use in the, in the job would be what I'd love to share with your listeners. The first one is to experience your own product. I don't think there are nearly enough companies and organisations that will, you know, where the leaders or the directors of the board will actually go in and be their consumer or the consumer of their own product. Yeah. And if they did, they'd discover just how much friction is in that experience that they could take out. And we're going to progressively work through that at Well Vision. We know we've got friction. We're going to take it out. And that for me is one of the primary principles for incumbents to defend themselves against disruption. Because if you look at the companies who've really disrupted, what they've done is removed elements of friction in the experience. So that would be my first habit is to just keep on experiencing your own product yep. to identify what needs to improve.
1: You're talking like an undercover boss or a- Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, be a consumer. I mean, everything's online. You know, I went out recently to see we're trialing a new experience in retail shopping centres with virtual reality and showing our field programming in 3D. And, you know, I went and actually did the experience to see what our potential supporters would experience and what reactions they might get and might experience and then following through in terms of the sign-up process.
1: I can tell you enjoyed it because your face lit yeah. up when you t- mentioned 3D. Well, it was
2: actually very moving because it was the food distribution program right. in Mosul that we were profiling and it was just before Christmas at a time when we all go and buy lots of lovely yep. rich food and here were these people collecting ration packs with you know oil, rice, pasta, and borgel, and basically that was that was their meal their food for a month and so it's quite moving to see that in the context of our own lives in a way that's not you know shouting or not driving a guilt reaction but to say actually I have much and I can be gentle and so that's an example of of really looking at the experience that will engage people that's on top of that point around friction. This one was also, you know, really trying to step in and innovatively think about how to capture people's hearts and minds for vulnerable children around the world. Great. Right. Okay,
1: thank you for yeah sharing that as well. Just one more share. Oh, actually, on the a habits, couple more. yeah. Oh, if you've got another one, fantastic.
2: The other one is to read as widely as you can, but I do that via social channels where there's just so much rich material that you can get access to that you wouldn't through traditional channels ever find. And so there's that richness of material. And, I, and so there's a couple of themes that I watch quite closely. One is leadership because I've always had a passion around leading teams in open and collaborative ways. Yeah, And so there's lots of great reading and I tend to, if you follow my Twitter feed, I tend to tweet interesting stuff about open stars of leadership and then the second theme is around innovation and, and tech and, and what's going on with digital. And that's the fastest way to learn uh, how are you, I'll,
1: I'll put I'll put a link to your Twitter handle as well yeah. on, on the site, but there's a lot of stuff online. How are you making sure you're getting the right stuff? Are you subscribed to feeds?
2: Yeah, or? so you can use Google Alerts okay. and sign up for different words that yep. will give you a list of articles sometimes it gets it wrong and it just says to you is this on the topic or not and you feed it and it starts to get more accurate so that's a a really fast way to get good content following influential people in in the sector the beauty of twitter is you can connect with anyone in the world and so you know finding those people who are doing really interesting thinking sometimes people find me because of what i've been tweeting they'll say you know claire you might be interested in this." so there is that risk of being in a bubble so you're only seeing what you're interested in seeing and so you do have to be careful of that yeah especially with how clever data is these days they'll feed you more of the same information but for for twitter that's particularly where i get a lot of my domain knowledge around running businesses and leadership and digital so that works works for me
1: so just on the theme of reading, is there a book that you might recommend, the one you've read that you think people should pick up and read?
2: Yeah. So you've probably picked up, David, I have a bit of an entrepreneurial bent. In fact, I used to call myself in ANZ an entrepreneur. Right. So Walter Isaacson's The Innovators is a really interesting book because it's a series of stories of genuine innovators over the last 200 years really and and yep. he starts with Ada Lovelace who at a time when women were just not involved in science or technology of any description and she just persisted and, and yep. pushed her way in to be an innovator. And so that's most definitely been an inspiration to me and uh, helped me in some ways articulate better my story. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. I'll be sure to link to that as well on the site. Yeah, it sounds like a good read. So just the last question, which was on a, a quote, is there an inspirational, does that be inspirational, just a quote that resonates with you and why does it resonate with you?
2: Yeah, so the quote I'm going to give you is actually from a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes and Chapter 4, if you're interested, and it's a statement. It says, get wisdom, get understanding, though it costs all you have. And I think, for me, that's been a really significant insight into being a good leader because leadership, the temptation, and actually I did this in my MBA a while ago where we were looking at hero leadership, and the temptation is so easily and readily there to try and be the hero, to come in and save situation and it feeds we're all subject to this it feeds our ego we think we're doing a good job we think we're making change but if we do that and there are times when leaders need to step up and and be counted but if we do that without understanding and without wisdom it's very unlikely to be successful and so for me that it epitomizes curiosity it epitomizes being willing to listen below what someone is hearing, what you might hear them say, and what's the underlying text or the subtext to why they're providing that feedback if there is one. And so that real sense of wanting to understand where people are coming from before making change. Now, I'm not perfect at this, by the way. Yep. It's, it's an inspiration and an aspiration. Yep. But if I'm not thinking like that, then I think I can't be as successful a leader. So I know that I can do it and it's a question of, you know, really trying to do that as often as possible. Great. Okay.
1: Thanks for sharing that. All right. Thank you very much for your time today, Claire. really enjoyed having a chat with you. And if the people are on a Qantas flight or they're at the gym or they're walking the dog or however they're consuming this content, and they're resonating with what you've said today they'd like to get in contact with either yourself or find out about more about how they can contribute to World Vision's causes how would they go about that
2: sure well my twitter handles there to connect with and worldvision.com.au a lot of our programming is profiled there and there's lots of ways to get in touch with us yeah one of the things that we're working on at the moment that's really exciting that i thought might resonate with your listeners is a digitally enabled alarm for slums in Bangladesh smoke alarms don't work there traditionally because of all the open fires as people cook their yep. meals etc and so this alarm responds to heat and it both sounds an alarm and reaches all the mobile phones in the area which allows people to respond fire protection and fire response to appear more quickly to address a fire, which as you would imagine in a slum, they're like tinderboxes. And so they have an absolutely devastating impact. And so we're really excited about this project. It was a finalist in the Google Impact Challenge late last year. And so we're going to make it possible for people to contribute more and that'll be on some of the peer-to-peer funding programs like GoFundMe shortly, yep. which will enable people to Fantastic. join with us in that great opportunity.
1: Yeah, a great example of how we're you know, using this digital disruption to work on the funding sort of platforms as well as, and so people can contribute directly to great initiatives like this. And also, I guess, the actual technology that you're actually deploying out there in the in the fields it's fantastic all right well thank you very much again for your time today and i'll let you get back to running well Beach in australia
2: thanks david it's been lovely to chat
1: thanks for tuning in hope you like today's show you can hop online to find out more about our mentor there's links in how to contact them there's also links around the books that they've recommended and how you might go about getting your hands on them mentorless.com.au
0: Thank you for listening to The Mentor List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to take just a few seconds to leave a rating and comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at www.mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.